Good evening. It is good to see each of you, and if you're a guest, again, we welcome you. If you will, be turning your Bibles to Acts, the 20th chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll be studying from there, and our passages from there will be on the screen. We'll go to a few other passages tonight that aren't on the screen, so you may want to get a Bible out of the pew there, and uh, we'll study along together. Sunday night services are such a blessing. How wonderful it is to sing songs of praise to God and to be with each other. There's also other things that are good. I understand that, I believe it was yesterday, if I understood correctly, that uh, several of our young people that are participating in Bible Bowl, they came together for additional study and kind of like a mock type of Bible Bowl and did a tremendous job. I know kids probably don't appreciate this, but if you can understand, there's some things that just make us adults feel good. Uh, if Could you raise your hand like really high if you're participating in Bible Bowl this year? I think we have several, and uh, absolutely, and there'll be a few other hands scattered back in here and over here, and we just want you young people to know that we're thankful for you, we're praying for you, and we want you to spend your life studying God's Word. What a blessing and and an example that it is for all of us. All of us need to be students of God's Word. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you, and we continue to wish you well in your endeavors in Bible Bowl. And we appreciate Alan Smith and the great leadership uh, that he brings to this work and the many, many lives that he is touching for decades and for eternity uh, with such a wonderful work. Also, do keep in mind the directories are a wonderful tool to get to know each other. And uh, those are available, and it's behind... Uh, in front of the library, behind the elevator, how you want to look at it there. Be sure and pick up your copy if your family has not yet picked up theirs. What a wonderful time to be together to talk about, hopefully, what will be the best day of our life. Not to quit, not to end, but to finish. I was reading an article the other day. ESPN has a football Uh, fumbles, football, uh, mistakes. They have a list of what they believe are some of the greatest mistakes in all time in football. And poor Leon Lett is number two and number three. And you know, to this day, even though he has done so many things right as a defensive player in the past for the Dallas Cowboys for a lot of years, he had some really good numbers you know what every sports writer and everyone that interviews him on a show, you know what they ask him? They ask him about one of those two plays where he made horrendous mistakes in football, and that's how he's remembered. And, the, and, and a while back, it's probably been 18 months ago, two years ago, time gets by, but I heard him on a Nashville station here, I heard a, a clip on his interview. And, and the sportscaster is, is asking him about Super Bowl Twenty Seven. Now think about it. What every football player wants, whether they're little bitty or in high school, what everybody, every football player wants is just to play in the Super Bowl. And now here is a defensive player that has recovered one of the Bills' fumbles. And now can you imagine this? He is going to score a touchdown as a defensive player in the Super Bowl. And so as he gets within a yard of it, he, he does that, slow down a little bit and do some long steps and, and, and put the football out in the open like this. And he literally has planted his last foot. This foot is already in the air and all he has to do is land this foot and he's in the end zone. Don Beebe for the Bills 
was pursuing him hard for all these yards. It was obvious he was not going to catch him. But Don wouldn't give up. He continued to run hard, even though it was obvious he wasn't gaining. But those last few steps, when Leon Lett quit on the play, gave him just enough time that literally milliseconds before his foot could cross the plane into the end zone, B.B. was able to knock the ball out of his hand. On the interview, Leon Lett said, All of my life, coaches have taught me to finish the play. I don't know why, he said, I didn't tuck the ball in and finish the play. But I got caught up in the moment. And I regret that. Oh, I assure you, he regrets it pretty much every day. To finish. You know, one of the grandest things you and I will ever do is begin the Christian life if we finish. How is it that Paul was such an amazing finisher? How is it that this man could go through so many trials, so much abuse and persecution, but yet at the same time he seemed to never take his eyes off of the finish. It seemed that nothing else was optional. As a matter of fact, he pretty much puts it in those words. We're picking up in the middle of a story in Acts the 20th chapter and Paul is literally making his way back to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit has told him that as he goes back to Jerusalem, there's going to be some terrible pain or tragedy waiting him there. And so he's continually being prophesied to about this, but yet he still will not deter from the course that he believes he's supposed to do. He believes he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. And so people that love him are trying to urge him not to go. In other words, it's almost like they're saying, turn around and run, go somewhere else. But instead... He talks very openly about he believes this is probably the end of his life. And so in Acts the 20th chapter, he calls the elders of Ephesus down to meet with him as Miletus because he doesn't have time to go up to them. But remember, he loves them dearly because he spent three years in the mission field just with these individuals. And so he loves the church there and he calls the elders down. And I'd like for you to notice in verse 24 what he says to them. And think about this is a man who was a finisher. This was him describing his mindset and his life. And notice what he says. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul? Looks like you got a pretty tough road ahead of you. What are you thinking about right now? Finishing. Really. All the persecution that may be waiting for you, and, and what are you thinking about? I, I just want to make sure I finish. What causes a man to be able to do that? Did you notice that first line of the decision that he's already made when he said there at the beginning of 24, none of these things move me. Paul says, I've made a decision. Nothing is going to stop me from... Somebody says, that's pretty arrogant. That's pretty... No, 
I don't believe Paul has one ounce in this statement. I'm not saying Paul was a perfect man, but I don't believe in this statement he had one ounce of arrogance. I think in this statement, Paul was simply saying, listen, I've made a decision. And I know I've been through the shipwrecks. I have spent some cold nights in prison. I've been through the beatings. I've had my back ripped open with rods. I've had my back lashed open with whips. You can imagine Paul saying, I've been through all these things and I've made a decision a long time ago. Nothing is going to move me from finishing the Christian race. Do you realize that most of us would have to say, and that's bad saying it. I hope that none of us could say this. Let me say what our temptation would be. All right, our fleshly nature Our temptation is most of us have a cost we'll sell out. Most of us have a cost we'll sell out. For some of us, it would be a certain dollar amount. For some of us, it'd be if we had enough power or prestige. For some of us, it would be, I tell you what, you can do whatever you want to me, but don't touch my family. Remember Job? For some of us, it would be touch us. I will serve you, Lord, as long as you protect me, but you start taking away my health, And I'll turn my back on you, Lord. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if every one of us made a decision of commitment, a a strong level of faith that says, nothing's going to move me. I've made my decision. I'm staying with the Lord. And it doesn't matter what happens or doesn't happen to me. It doesn't matter what happens or doesn't happen to my family. It doesn't matter how much I have, because sometimes it's hard to finish when we have a lot. Or it doesn't matter how little I have. Sometimes it's hard to finish when we have a little. It doesn't matter how many know me or if no one knows me. I want to finish. Well, what did he have in mind? Just to put it in context here. We've already made the application, but put it in context and then we'll move on. Notice some things that he mentioned here. If we backed up to the 19th verse, these are some things that he mentions in this context of what he was dealing with. He talks about going into Asia in the 18th verse, and then he says, this is how I lived among you in 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And then we read more about tears. Look over in verse 31. And by the way, in the Bible that's in your pew, this is 988, if you need to find it in the Bible that's in the pew, 988. And look in verse 31, still of Acts 20, verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember. In other words, he's warning them now that we skip down this far. He's warning them about false teachers coming in and destroying the church in Ephesus. And with that on his mind, and then the speech here, he says, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul, do you know Paul? Oh, yes, I I, I knew Paul when he was back in Ephesus. What kind of man was he? You know, he's kind of sad. Oh, really? I I didn't expect to see Paul. You know, he wasn't sad all the time, but I saw Paul cry a whole lot. Really? Yeah, sometimes the Jews were so hard on him. I felt so sorry for him. He would just go back to his house and cry. That's what, that's what he's saying. There. I don't know exactly how it happened, but he says, I went through tears and trials with the Jews. Here, Paul was, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and the Jews hated the Gentiles. And so their idea was, we're going to either kill anybody that reaches out to the Gentiles, or we're going to make your life absolutely miserable. And Paul says, I went through it, but I tell you what, none of these things move me. I might go back and cry every night, but I will not leave the Lord. And then his, his great concern that they would fall for false teachers 
It, it would be like a biblical term here of sheep, wolves in sheep's clothing. And he would literally meet with them and beg them till tears came to his eyes to beg them not to believe in the wolves. Don't follow them. They'll destroy you. And you can imagine them saying, you know, he came by our house and he begged us to stick with the truth and he just cried and cried. Then somebody might say, I bet Paul's getting discouraged. And you know what Paul would say? Listen, my heart may be heavy and my physical pain may be great, but I am not discouraged. I am not leaving the Lord. But you know, sometimes it's not just pain and discouragement. Sometimes it's sin, isn't it? Remember Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? If you don't, well, let's just turn to that real quick. Remember Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? What is it that also can cause us not to finish? Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it's page 1070. The Bible's in the pews, 1070. Therefore, therefore we also, remember we just finished the great hall of faith. And so now the question is, can we finish like they finish? And so now we have this in the 12th chapter. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. See, that's the idea of finishing. Run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Who is he? The author and who? Finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured. See, he finished the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right-hand throne of God. The Hebrew writer is saying, if we're going to finish, sometimes it's not just persecution. Sometimes it's just things that distract us. And he says, it's extra weight, and we need to lay it down. Other times, it's sin. I think about one time in, in another state, a man that I'd grown to be pretty close to was going through some very, very hard times in a local congregation. And I really thought it had hurt him enough that he was thinking about leaving the church. And I met with him and I talked with him and I pled with him. I said, I know it hurts and I know you may have been treated unfairly, but do not turn your back on the Lord's church. Individuals in the church are not perfect. But don't despise the church. And he looked at me and he said, listen, people may do a lot of things to me, but they could never turn me away from the Lord's church. And I felt so relieved. And I was so thankful. And about 18 months later, he left his wife for another woman and left the church. You see what Paul's pointed out to us and what the Hebrew writer has pointed out? Sometimes it's persecution that drives us away. Sometimes it's just heavy hearts. We get so heavy and we say, I just quit. Sometimes it's sin. We let sin creep in and take over. And before long, we literally, in our actions, in our heart, we're saying, I'm not going to finish Tonight, can you join Paul? Can you join Paul saying, I've made a decision. It doesn't matter what the cost. If there is anything that's going to separate me from God, I won't do it. I will not stop short 
of finishing. But notice, not only was it a decision, it was a value system. Notice that next phrase, we go back to Acts, the 20th chapter. See there in verse 24? The next phrase, the first was, but none of these things move me. But notice this next one. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. There's a priority system here. Paul, what do you think about the Lord? I count all things gain for the Lord. What do you think about yourself? I don't see any value in myself as compared to the Lord. In other words, everything in my life is for the benefit of the Lord. You remember in Philippians, the third chapter, turn there very quickly, if you will. Philippians, the third chapter. You remember how he talks about in verse three about his self-confidence. And, and really, this would be a neat point. And, and I know I'm going to stretch your memory just a little bit here. But you remember a few weeks ago when we studied pretty in depth one Sunday on love. And, and we talked about the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then we said the second was like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if I remember correctly, we talked about in that lesson that anytime the Bible, God, speaks about loving ourselves, He speaks of that as if it is a given. Now, in our society, in our world today, we make a big deal about the fact, well, you need to find a way to love yourself and you need to find a way to accept yourself. Friends, you don't find that kind of language in the Bible. Remember, we talked about that. The reason you don't is because if we get the first commandment right, loving yourself takes care of itself. If we love God with all of our being, loving ourselves takes care of itself. In other words, where do you find your identity? Do you find your identity in, I'm a child of God? Or do you find your identity in, hey, am I okay with you? Do, do you accept me? I'm just wanting to make sure that, that I'm okay with that. Oh, good. They like me. Good. That's who I am. I'm the one they like. Friends, that's what Proverbs teaches about the woman. That kind of charm is deceitful. It'll come and it'll go. And we make our lives miserable when we find our identity and our acceptance from each other and even from ourselves. But when we know I am a brother or a sister of Jesus Christ, I am a son or a daughter of the Almighty Father in heaven, I am saved, I have my value and my worth because of the one who made me and loves me. And you know what? I know who I am because I know who my God is. You see, if you want to talk about the way the world talks about self-confidence. It's not biblical. But we do read this. Look in Philippians, the third chapter. This is a man who loved God with all of his being. And so in that, he found out how to love himself. And notice what he says in verse 3 of Philippians 3. It's page 1043 in the Bible in the pews. 1043. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks of, that thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Now, I know that's a little bit wordy, but if you're wondering what he said there, he was saying, if you want to have a bragging contest about who could brag the most about self-confidence, he said, if you were going to find it in the flesh, and he's, he's speaking primarily Jews here, he's saying, I could one-up you every time. Now, this list may not seem huge, impressive to us, but it would have been to Jews. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, see, that's if I, if I were going to find self-confidence in these things, he says, I've counted them lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that what? I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And by any means, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Wow, what a reading. Paul, how do you find this courage to say, I'm going to finish no matter what? Isn't this simple, but isn't it powerful? He says, well, it's like this. I count the cause of Christ far more important than me. So anything I have to give up to finish with Christ, it's not really a decision. I've already made that decision because of my value system. Do you realize how hard? I want you to think about scales. I want you to think about scales where you say, and and I think this is kind of where we begin, if you will, in our our spiritual walk and maturity. I I think, well, I should, maybe not all of us begin this, but but think about this for a minute and you figure out how it applies to your life. What if you say, how much do you value yourself? And then you place on that scales, how much do you value the Lord? And what if it's kind of even? And then you have to make a decision This is what I really want to do. But this is what God says to do. And that's when we find ourselves in those situations where we say, I just don't really know what to do. This is so tough. I I know what God wants me to do, but I don't know if I really want to do it. Think about it. At this point in Paul's life, he's saying, I don't have to make decisions like that. If you want to value me as opposed to Christ, he says, there's no weight over here. I place all of my value with Christ. And so when you say, Paul, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to finish. And he says, none of these things move me. I'll finish at any cost. Paul, how can you say at any cost? He would say, it's because my value system. If we're talking about Christ or me, I place no value on my own life. I place everything on Jesus Christ. That's why if we go back to Acts 20 and 24, notice those are the two statements that lead up to that statement of finish. Notice this again as we read it in verse 24. But none of these things move me. In other words, at any cost. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm not selling out. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. It's a value system. I'm always going to side with finishing with the kingdom's sake. And so because of that, he says, so that I may finish my race with joy. And so he says, I'm doing this so I can finish. And isn't this interesting? He's saying, I'm doing these two things So I can finish how? With joy. Joy cannot be pursued successfully. Have you ever heard statements like this? Life is 90% attitude. Maybe we can make some kind of argument that I think... We want to believe that attitude is so very important. I'll be honest with you, when I studied through this lately and I started noticing this, I didn't know exactly what to do with this, but I just want you to note 
if, if you want to put joy under the category of an attitude, in other words, are you going to be optimistic in life? Are you going to be pessimistic? Are you going to be joyful? Are you going to be uh, full of sorrow? You know, and, and so you look at this and say, he says, I'm going to finish with joy. doesn't matter how much persecution I go through. It doesn't matter what. I'm going to finish with joy. And you say, how could he have that attitude? What about if that type of attitude is the result of something and it's not what is pursued? In other words, what he was pursuing was finishing at any cost. What he was pursuing was keeping the Lord preeminent in his life. And once he made that pursuit of keeping the Lord preeminent in his life and finishing at any cost, he says, then I found myself being joyful. I really think that's the result. I think any of us that are sold out for Christ at any cost, we would say, I'm very thankful I'm very joyful. I feel just super about my decision to be a Christian at any cost. But you know what's interesting is usually some of the most miserable people on earth are people who are somewhat religious and have some convictions but don't keep them. I mean, think about it. People that you know that are probably the most religious, I mean, the most miserable that are religious people. They're probably living with a foot in the world and trying to live with a foot with Christ. You can't result in joy. Paul says, doesn't matter what the cost, because it doesn't matter about me. All that matters so I want to finish. He says, and I'm real happy about that. He thought he was going to die this time, but he didn't. But you remember in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, that was the last page that he wrote. And that time, he was going to die very soon. And you remember in verse 6, he's, later he's going to call Timothy to come be with him. Remember? The time of my departure is at hand. That's interesting, isn't it? Departure. You know, airplanes, arrival time, departure time. I'm going to depart. It wasn't the end for him. He knew he was just departing to a destination. Time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. Remember the next one? I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown, which the Lord shall give to me, and not only to me, but all those that love the Lord. Paul came to the end of his life, and what he was thankful for, what brought him joy, and what he lived for was to finish. Tonight, it's impossible for me to finish right if I haven't started right. It's impossible for me to finish right if I haven't stayed right. Tonight, everything in my life ought to be focused on the finish. And so we're about to sing a song of encouragement, and I'd simply ask you to think about if tonight were your last night on this earth, could you say, I finished? Or would it be said, I quit? Would it be said that I started one time, but I didn't finish? Or would it be said, you never started? I know 
that there's some aspects of hope that is challenging. Because hope relies upon things we've never seen before. But friends, Jesus is coming again. It's not if He will. He is. And when He comes again, we want to look to that with joy. We want to be like Paul and say, He's coming. I'm finishing with joy. This is great. But think how it'll be. If we look and saw Jesus coming and we couldn't see that with joy. Supposedly everything that we live for would have been wasted. Tonight, what the Lord wants to do in all of our lives is a transformation. We can't do it alone, but we can do it with Him. And we can't do it alone, but we can do it with a church family. And tonight, if there's anything that we can do to encourage you, if there's anything we can do to be an encouragement to each other, we really do want to stir and provoke each other to love and good works. And if you can let us know tonight what we can do to help you, we'd love to help you come as we stand and as we sing.